And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we begin a Wednesday, Gary. Hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Well... We're here. We're ready to go. <laughs> yes, we are. All right. She answered a question uh, correctly yesterday. The, in fact, correctly, the only way that she could answer the question yesterday. Mm. Here we go. I wanted to ask about the trial going on in Arkansas with Hunter Biden and the child support. Are the president and first lady monitoring that? And how come they haven't acknowledged the seventh grandchild? I'm not going to speak to that from here. <laughs> yeah. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Uh, Hunter who? What? By the way, that was that was the correct way to answer the. I, I hate to say it, but she answered that in the correct way. Well, let me get into why she's the blinking. She's blinking twelve, so twice per day she's going to be correct. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. I'm not going to speak about that. I ain't talking about that. What she should have... Now, I guess she could have answered a little bit better. What, are you out of your mind? You think I'm going to answer that question? Are you smoking weed? Right. <laughs> I'm not answering that question. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you how, really, the president really doesn't care about his children or grandchildren. It's, I, not, it's not just that one. <laughs> I, yeah. Look, he doesn't really care about anybody. He doesn't right. care about Hunter. Why right. would he care about Hunter's child? <laughs> what? Are you guys insane? Do you know who he is? Uh, <laughs> and she got pounded uh, yesterday for saying that the, uh, remember on Monday, that the parole leave program is the reason why uh, the, uh, uh, illegal immigration is down 90%. Mm-hmm. And then she said, well, no, actually what it is is the in, the encounters uh, at the border actually went down, for, but just for the parolee program. We're not talking about anything else, which right. was 
you know, yeah. being allowed in. But the reason is, is because last October, <laughs> this is this is the beautiful part of it. Like, okay, we're doing our job and we're stopping people from coming into the country. If you come in from those, I think it's Venezuela and three other countries. If you put in an application, you get in automatically thirty thousand a month. Yeah, that's right. why it's gone down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but it's ah, uh, just I'm telling you. Well, let's uh, start out. Uh, job openings near a two-year low. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, you're gonna. This is where you're gonna start seeing that that die-off. You know, that adjustment. Yeah. And it's a number of things that influence, you know, everything that's going on. Um, uh, there was an interesting discussion about AI and all the analysts are, you know, oh, on yeah. Wall Street now are, you know, going over the whole AI thing. Well, what are we dealing with? What are we dealing with? Look, we can't figure out the humans. You're never going to figure out AI. <laughs> this whole thing is, you know, it's it's like... Oh, we're afraid of the robots. Well, you know, let's try and figure out the the humans who are writing. You know, right now there's a big uh, back and forth about the 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 chat software, right? You know, mm-hmm. Chat GPT uh, and other AI software. Well, it's basically collecting whatever humans have put together. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just collecting it, right? And then you know, now we're we're looking at businesses going in and going, oh. Even even in Hollywood, the writers are going, hey, hey, that's not fair. Chat GPT wrote a much better script than I did. (laughs) They're all freaking out. What (laughs) is, man, I'd go watch that movie. And then, you know, it's, I don't know if it was inevitable that we would get here this soon, but it was inevitable we'd get here. And you look at the number of jobs where everybody was, I'm quiet quitting. My boss isn't going to own me. You're fired. I'm what? I'm what? You're fired. Yeah. Uh, Chat GPT. He's cooking the French fries and the hamburger over there. A lot better than you did. And th- this is, you know, where we are. You you know, everybody, I'm not going back to work in the office. I just bought these pajamas. Will they input into AI uh, quiet quitting? <laughs> AI doesn't have to quiet quit because AI knows one thing: work. Will there be ES- get smarter? Will there be ESG programs for AI? Oh yeah, yeah. All that's going to be factored in. You know why? Because of stupid humans. I'm just sitting here, just. Laughing to myself, we're doing a national radio show beginning, and I'm asking these stupid questions. It's just, I'm just like, yeah. I mean, the, as as to what the left would be concerned with with uh, with AI. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, AI's no problem according to the Energy Secretary because we've got plenty of jo- we have too many too jobs many jobs in this country. We'll get to there that. There are too many. We'll jobs. get to that audio coming up. Uh, I mean, she is absolutely clueless. Think about this. You know, they're they're uh, she's the Energy Secretary and she's the one promoting the insane agenda for all electric vehicles and you know solar and wind and everything else. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it was uh, uh, Senator Hawley that asked her. Um, do you know where? Do you know who produces a majority of lithium? 
And she said, no, I don't. It's China. Do you know who produces the majority of cobalt, you know, that we that we import? That's a major, the, the biggest producer. No, I don't. It's China. He starts, and he starts going through the different materials that we have to do. And he says, so you're giving up U.S. energy security for China to control what we do here? No, yeah. an, no answer. Right. She's complete. But think about this. The energy sector, just, uh, here you have the... What the Democrats and the liberals want to do, the greatest transformation of energy forced by government ever in the history of the United States. That's going to make electricity much more expensive. Oh, did you see uh, National Grid in New York uh, raising uh, electricity prices? They're putting in now to the, what is it, the public commission. 17% raise in electricity they want in New York State. Under my plan to cap and trade, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket. It's what the people of the United States voted for. Yes. And it's what the people of New York State have voted for. Right. I, we understand. We understand. Not if you're conservative. Right. And the people of California. Yes. They just signed it into law 2036. Starting in 2036, all big rigs have to be EVs. Now, you can walk to the store and get your milk, except for the problem is the milk won't be there. But think about this. One of the biggest government-forcing the transition of energy, and it makes us dependent on what is arguably our number one enemy in the world. This yeah. is the insanity of... De- and they just ignore it. It's like there was no back and forth. And I, I, I would uh, criticize Holly because I think he wasn't focusing on... He kept saying, and you want to do this for your radical climate agenda. You don't need to do that. I mean, we, we've already said that a billion times. What you need to say is you're willing to give up energy security and losing yeah. American jobs to enrich China and make China more in control of us. For some reason, I don't know why, because that's the easiest one to go to. And I understand they get into their, uh, you know, Corrine Jean-Pierre crutches of radical climate change, radical climate change, radical climate change. But that is not nearly as effective as saying we are trading our energy security and we are trading our jobs in order to enrich our number one enemy, China. That's how Republicans should be addressing no, this. No, you're absolutely right, because right now where China is, they rely on the world for energy, but that is going to turn quickly with stupid moves like yeah. we're seeing from this administration. Those mandates will turn the table completely around. Then you look at Afghanistan, also has sizable lithium fields, and while they don't have what China has and what Chile has, what they do have is the building of a super terrorism state right now. And if you want to talk about ISIS gaining more power, if they were to ever take control of Afghanistan, you look at Afghanistan right now, uh, while the Taliban has control right now, if ISIS really wanted to do what they did in Mosul under al-Baghdadi, when the fall of Mosul, which lasted almost three years, uh, they controlled the energy in that sector, in, in that in that region, and it was because they captured Mosul. If they were to capture Afghanistan, now I don't know if anybody's predicting that, that to happen, but if one day ISIS took control, then they would have the makings of a caliphate. They would have the makings of something that they wanted that al-Baghdadi actually was trying to get when they were in Mosul. And this is the kind of thing where you look at the, the dangers all around us 
and we choose to bow to our enemy over and over again. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And they can't answer the question. And I thought, and we'll play the, the back and forth between her and, and, and Joss Hawley because it was, you know, it's just amazing that here's the energy secretary that has no idea that wants to make this great transformation, you know, to stop mining, uh, to stop the production of oil and natural gas in the United States. And she's the energy secretary and cannot tell you. Energy secretary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she cannot tell you where we're going to get the materials from. She doesn't know. She doesn't this know. Is, this is how. She doesn't know how it works. Th- this is how clueless. Uh, members of the cabinet are completely clueless. They don't even know. No. They don't even know. Okay, we're going to do this. Well, where are you going to get it from? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, I, you know, that's the not... sun and the wind. <laughs> it will bring us everything we need. This is how far yeah. gone they are. But U.S. job openings dropped to their lowest level in nearly two years in March, and layoffs rose sharply. Yeah, uh, layoffs rose to a season adjusted 1.8 million in March. From the prior month, um, up for, uh, rose to a seasonally adjusted 1.8 million in March from the prior month, up from a revised 1.6 million in uh, in February. Mm. The increase was led by losses in construction, leisure, and hospitality and healthcare industry sectors that have driven job growth in recent months, uh, like uh, uh, tech, finance, and other white collar industries also cooled down. So. Uh, seasonally adjusted uh, 9.6 million job openings in uh, in March. That's the other thing too that drove you know, Josh Hawley crazy was the uh, Helen said, um, "Oh, there are plenty of you know there you know we have too many jobs, so yeah. we close these mining jobs down. They can get jobs anywhere." Right. And he just went, "Oh my God!" He was just he's like, "I can't believe most outrageous thing you could possibly imagine that these blue collar jobs you don't care about the blue." And we said this a long time ago. We said this when Biden took office. And we said this to every union worker out there about their union leadership. Your union, you're paying your union leadership to work against your best interests. Yeah, to, then kill, again, to kill your jobs. Right. Then again, we're paying taxes for the federal government right now to work against our best interest and make our lives yep. harder and tougher. Yes. And we are paying our government right now to make us less energy secure, economically secure, uh, you know, uh, and, and, uh, uh, national security and, and national security uh, also make us less secure from the national security standpoint. And we're paying our taxes to make the United States weaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we choose this. Yep. We choose this. We got a great show ahead. 86690 Red Eye. Logging miles during the hot summer months can put a serious strain on you and your truck's health. Did you know pollutants and allergens in the air outside can enter your cab through the HVAC system without you even cracking a window? That's why it's important to check those cabin air filters. Inhaling dirty and polluted air can cause distress if you suffer from allergies or a respiratory illness. Not to mention the distraction dirty cabin air filters can cause by blocking proper airflow to your AC system when you need it most. Breathe easy when the air in your cab is fresh. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. 
It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. Mind blank. Uh, it's uh, the the back and forth between Josh Hawley was with the Interior Secretary, not oh, the, okay. Yeah, so I'd said Energy Secretary, and mm. I had mind mind blank there for a minute. Mm. But I do have an excuse. Mm-hmm. I'm elderly. Oh Gary yeah, yeah. yeah, Gary McNamara. I'm elderly, so you're loudly quitting. <laughs> 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 you can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> uh, By the way, that was from the band Blotto. Yeah. That had one of the first uh, um, videos on MTV day one. Also from everybody who was fired in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, also, we'll talk about the going after uh, Justice Thomas. It really is amazing here, the Democrats, and they were just pounded yesterday, you know, mm-hmm. talking about what all the justices, you know, have done in, you know, in their uh, in their past. Here's the interesting thing. You've got Democrats screaming for transparency on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. There is no branch of government that has more transparency right now than the Supreme Court. Yeah, right. Because we know why they do every every single, you know, every single decision you know exactly why they did it. No, this is you know legally why they did it. Yeah, you, you know you know uh, the majority, uh, right. and you know what the minority believes on it. There is no branch of government more transparent than the Supreme Court. It's just it, it's uh, it's gaslighting is what's going on with the Democrats and and Clarence Thomas uh, uh, right now. Mm-hmm. They just want the Democrats don't like the fact that they don't control every branch of government. It's that simple. Well, that's that's it. I mean, you, what you see from Al Franken, if anybody's even paying attention to it, you know, the, the Supreme Court is illegitimate. He's not even the first one. He's in a long line of liberals who want, basically, because they're not getting their way, we want to change the entire, the fundamentals of the entire nation. And these are the people that, you know, will scream and then, tell you something else is a right when it isn't a right. Yeah. All of this, you know, again, applies over and over again. You can see it as they try and whittle away at the Constitution. You know, it was only a matter of time before it would be divulged what other more liberal justices have done or received, if you want to call them gifts or whatever you want to call them. It was only a matter of time because the media just went on the whole Justice Thomas thing, just went full on. They're still on it. Well, I bet that starts to go away. Well, it does start going away because they're going through what all the liberal justices yep. have, have done in the trips that they've taken and everything mm-hmm. else. And, and uh, you know, said and you know, look and, and they're coming out saying we don't believe that they're corrupt. Why right. is Thomas corrupt? Exactly. If they're not corrupt, you know, if, if we don't believe they're corrupt, we don't believe Thomas is corrupt. Right. And the fact is, we know exactly what Thomas believes on everything. Right. It's not like he had $90,000 in cash in his freezer. No, but I mean, uh, but in general, as to what they do, you know, at what their role in government is, the Supreme Court is the most transparent of any branch of government. Mm -hmm. Is the Biden administration transparent? Right. No, they're they're It's pathological lies every single day. Right. The Supreme Court, you know exactly what they think. You know what both sides think. They write it down. You see it. You can read it. You know every decision they make. 
and you can look at it and say it's based in law or it's not based in law. Right. But right. you have full transparency on every issue that they cover. And if there is an even an ounce of in a in a particular case of a conflict of interest, both sides scream to high heavens on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have a branch of government with more transparency than the Supreme Court of the United States. No, you don't. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Five hours a night, and still not enough. Listen to our podcast, available on the app and on our website, RedEyeRadioShow.com. And he is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Democrats going after uh, Clarence Thomas. They had a hearing on it uh, yesterday. You know, they the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, you know they want to introduce a, uh, uh, a bill that would uh, control the ethics of the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. uh, Supreme Court, which again, the Supreme Court, I'm sure, would just ignore. They would continue with, uh, you know, what they do already. And one of the reasons is is because the con- Congress has no authority over the Supreme Court to dictate how they act. Right. And and so uh, I want to play this uh, audio cut though from, and this is actually Lindsey Graham talking to uh, three of the witnesses there and asking them, you know, if they knew. Uh, about things that have gone on in the past. Here we go. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, are all the witnesses aware of the fact that when Justice Roberts declined the invitation of Chairman Durbin, that the his letter was signed by the entire court? Are all of you aware of that? Uh, Mr. Fogel, do you think that was a wise decision? 
Thank you, Senator. I, I, I think um, uh, I, I said in my statement that I respect it. I think it was sincere. Um, I think the problem, and, and I think it's significant, and I will, I will grant that, that it was signed by all nine of the justices. They, that's, that's, well, that, so yeah. that's my point. Yeah, but that, may I? I just want people to understand that the court as a whole has a right. problem with this, whether they're right or wrong. <clears throat> I don't, you know, that's... May I, I may, guess, I'm sorry, Senator. I just wanted to say sure. one other thing, if it's all right. Sure. Um, I think it's significant that they all signed it. I think it doesn't suggest that that's all that all of them would do. Uh, this is a it's, it's a point about which they all reached consensus. I, I sort of yeah. like you and Mr. Payne mentioned something sort of struck a nerve yeah. with me. You know, I'm not into micromanaging the court, Judge McKay, but when you look at what other branches do versus the court, Mr. Payne, you say it's pretty obvious they have a sort of a lower threshold, right? That's correct. Okay. So what I would urge the court to do is take this moment <clears throat> to instill more pub public confidence. I'm not going to vote for any of these bills. But I think we'd all be better off if they did that. And here's what I want to kind of explain to people. In 1998, uh, Justice Ginsburg donated a signed copy of her decision in VMI um, case where you had to admit women to a state school. Um, and it was auctioned off at a fundraiser supporting the National Organization of Women's Legal Defense Fund. I didn't know that until this moment. Do you all agree that if Judge Alito signed the Dobbs decision and gave it to the Susan B. Anthony pro-life organization to raise money, all hell would break loose in this country? Do you agree with that, Ms. Forrest? Uh, so would I agree that if the, there was a sale of a If Judge a Alito signed yeah. the Dobbs decision autographs it, gave it to the SBA group to raise money, it'd be all hell would break loose. Oh, yes, and I certainly would agree that would be a problem. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons that Congress needs to play an active role today. Why didn't all hell break loose in 1998? I'm when not Justice sure what the was. Well, when Justice Ginsburg yeah. signed a copy of the VMI decision for the National Organization of Women's Legal Defense Fund. Well, I think we all know the answer to that. Uh, Justice Ginsburg, one of the greatest people to serve on the court, received an award from the National Democratic Women's Club. Can you imagine what would happen if Justice Roberts received the award from a Republican women's club? I think we may read more about it. Uh, Justice Ginsburg was given a million-dollar award by the Bergruen Institute and this is annual philosophy and culture award for major, major achievements in advancing ideas that shape the world. Now, she didn't get the money personally, but they gave her a million dollars to give to other people. Does anybody have a problem with that? Does everybody have a problem with that? Well, I'm going to assume silence means yes. <laughs> I'll take that as a yeah. <laughs> and 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 the 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 point is, uh, and and he wasn't the only Republican to point it out, but the Demo you know, the the liberal justices have done way more. That if you're going to set the standard for Clarence Thomas, 
by what he did, which was hang out with the friend uh, that you can you can bring up things that you obviously the Democrats, if they were consistent, would have been screaming about what the liberal justices did if they were really concerned about uh, transparency and ethics in the Supreme Court. And right. that's the point that they brought up. So this isn't going to go anywhere. It's just the fact that they are desperate. They know that the Supreme Court is uh, right now solidly constructionist, and they're doing anything they can to destroy the legitimacy of the court, which is completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And obviously, as we said before, when you actually look at the Supreme Court of the United States compared to the other branches of government, they are the most transparent. There is, Congress certainly isn't as transparent. (laughs) We know things are done in back rooms on a consistent basis. You don't get to see what they're talking about. You don't know. You, you hear, you hear what they, what they state to you, but you don't get to see the inner workings in the Supreme Court. You get to see the inner workings. You get to actually know every case that they hear and what their arguments are. And then you get to see their arguments written down for the entire world to see. So you know where they stand. This is a desperate attempt by the left. They want to try and and turn the tide if they can. They thought, you know, they had this big moment of victory when Breyer stepped down. But, of course, it wasn't going to change the makeup of the court. Oh, and they also talked about, I forgot who it was yesterday, uh, talked about uh, the uh, the fact that there was a Democrat group that spent millions of dollars advertising to convince Breyer to retire. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you had, a, you had a number of Democrats who were fairly open about it, you know, but spending that kind of money, campaigning in that way, really, to get him to, to retire. And they almost lost their mind. Remember when he when he said the first time it was kind of, Asked openly, one of the first times, Breyer was like, well, when the time is right, I will be retiring. I I don't want to be on the Supreme Court until the point that I die. I don't want to be here the rest of my life. But when the time is right, I'll retire. And the left lost their ever-loving mind. Mm -hmm. And they see... Justice Thomas, as they see this as a an easy get. Well, the problem is now we're going to have to vet all the justices, including RBG, and determine. Wait a minute, is that acceptable acceptable behavior or not? Is this corruption or not? I don't believe it's corruption. Now let's uh, uh, play more audio from yesterday's hearing and this is uh ted cruz at the judiciary hearing on ethics uh, and an ethics code for supreme court justices the attack that my democrat colleagues breathlessly repeat is that clarence thomas stayed at the vacation home of a very close friend of his a successful texas businessman flew on his plane and went on his yacht Well, if that's the standard, going and traveling and being paid for by others, then guess what? Just about every Supreme Court justice has done so, and done so in much greater numbers. 
Justice Thomas was appointed in 1991, and the time since then, he's taken 109 reported trips, five international trips. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed in 1993, two years later, and the time she was on the court, she took 157 trips, including 28 international trips. Mr. Payne, yes or no, do you think Ruth Bader Ginsburg was corrupt? No. Nor do I. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not alone. Justice Stephen Breyer, appointed the year later in 1994, took 233 reported trips, including 63 international trips. Again, yes or no, Mr. Payne, do you think Stephen Breyer was corrupt? No. Nor do I. I would point out Justice Kagan has done the same thing, Justice Sotomayor has done the same thing, and yet none of my Democrat colleagues care, because this is a political attack directed at a justice they hate. And by the way, let's spend a moment focusing on Justice Stephen Breyer, a delightful human being, someone I know personally, someone who served decades on the court. Justice Stephen Breyer repeatedly traveled on the penny of a prominent Democratic billionaire, the Pritzker family. Now, J.B. Pritzner is the Democrat governor of the state of Illinois, from which our chairman hails. I, I would be shocked if the chairman of this committee has not had multiple meals with the Pritzker family. Justice Breyer was a longtime member of the board that awarded the Pritzker Architecture Prize. Now, what did that mean? That meant Justice Breyer traveled on the dime of these Democrat billionaires. In 2019, Justice Breyer traveled to New York City, to Vancouver, and Paris. In 2018, Justice Breyer traveled to Ireland and Spain. In 2016, he traveled to New York, Spain, and France. In 2013, he traveled to Norway, Sweden, Denmark. In 2012, he traveled to Beijing and to London. All of this paid for by the Pritzker Foundation. Now, none of my Democrat colleagues are mad about this. And let me be clear. I'm not suggesting Justice Breyer is corrupt. What I'm suggesting is this committee is corrupt because this is a kangaroo circuit Circus, and I will note, we had 15 Senate Democrats, including six members of this committee, send a letter to the Appropriations Committee threatening to cut off the funding for security at the Supreme Court. The left is willing to threaten the lives of the justices. Justice, there you go. The That's uh, Ted Cruz yesterday. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this entire effort, I, I'm I'm really shocked that it hadn't been addressed until yesterday. Ted Cruz did, a, I think, an excellent job in pointing out the hypocrisy and the fact that if we're going to do this, then great, let's scrutinize every single one of them. And also, the committee chair. Let's let's break it down. If you're going to consider these to be gifts. If you're going to consider this to be corruption, let's break it all down. I think that's why you'll see the media hit the brakes on this after yesterday. Because they realize, oh, this isn't going to go well. It's not just about the liberal justices. It's about every member of Congress. It's about every every member, every liberal member of the Senate. And what do they get? And how often do they, are they wine and dined, you know, at somebody else's expense how often does that happen? And it went on over and over again with uh, Republican senators bringing up all these things and then saying, uh, you know, the the uh, uh, so the uh, justices that took uh, you know trips uh, 
you know, financed by the ACLU and things like that. And mm-hmm. asking the question, do you believe these organizations were attempting to bribe these justices? And so there was so much of that coming out where it's like you can't win this one in the in the you, you can't look at this and say, uh, well, uh, Justice Thomas is acting in such an outrageous way that isn't commonplace in the Supreme Court from the liberal justices. Yeah. You can't make that argument. Well, the liberals are so weak. I mean, think about what they've done just in recent years. Mike Pence won't have dinner alone with a, a woman that is not his wife. That's extreme. And also, hashtag me too. I mean, <laughs> they it's over and over again. They just, it's like watching a really horrible game of Pong. For those under the age of 90, Pong was the very first <laughs> video game, and it was horrible. And this is what, you know, I mean, this is every single time they turn around, they run into a brick wall. That brick wall was built by Ted Cruz yesterday. And don't forget, followed up by Space Invaders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was better. Yeah, it was improving. It was better. <laughs> 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Well, we have 27 states now that are upset about the Biden administration's new mortgage rule. And, you know, some of the numbers that we saw, remember it was your more, if you had to, and, and this is where uh, if you have a good credit rating, you're going to have to pay extra fees for people that have bad credit ratings mm-hmm. so they can get a loan and don't have to pay the extra fees or get a mortgage. And we heard first it was like $40 a month extra, then $70. Mm-hmm. Wait to hear one of the numbers that Fox came out, some of the research that they found yesterday, how much your mortgage payment could go up. It's mm. mind-boggling. Mm. Coming up. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is is Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Ah, yes, another day. Another day uh, and uh, more retailers moving out of San Francisco. Saks, Nordstrom. Several national retailers closing their stores in downtown San Francisco. Nordstrom announced Tuesday morning that they are closing down two of their downtown San Francisco stores after 35 years. Mm. Wow. You know, uh, this is happening at such a an accelerated rate. Uh, we knew it was going to happen. 
because there wasn't going to be a turnaround. They weren't going to start making it, all of a sudden, start making it safer in these areas. That's what the people voted for. It's what you chose. And if you're screaming now, it's too late. Because you're. it was never going to be the case in San Francisco or Portland or any of these other blue cities that they were going to usher in conservatives. <laughs> that was never going to happen. So what were you going to get? People who pretend like they care up until election day. Well, we're going to we're going to get on top of it. No, you're not. And there's no choice. These companies have to leave and if the big ones aren't going to stay, the small ones can't stay either. No. People don't feel safe. Their workers aren't safe. They, I don't know how you do it every day, go into a, a zone like that. I think about the areas of Portland where people talk about it and say, you know, and, and I talked to one person who had moved from Portland to another state and said there are areas of town you just can't go to. And if that's accurate and true, how do you go to work? You can't. Not safely. San Francisco, the same thing. And this is what these companies will tell you. It's not just about the uh, the fact that they're getting, you know, looted on a regular basis. It's also about the fact that people don't want to work there anymore because they don't feel safe. Customers don't want to go there because they don't feel safe. And you just watch your profits being carried out the door over and over again. Nope. It's not, here's the thing. It's not an inexpensive thing to do to get up and leave when you're talking about companies these this uh, the, that are the size of these companies. It's not. It's not like, well, let's just lock the door and we'll walk out. It doesn't work that way. It's enormously expensive to do, but it's also less expensive than the alternative, which is staying. You can't make a profit there. You have to go. There's no other way around it. And when that happens more and more, you're seeing, you know, the tech jobs that left the Bay Area uh, during COVID, you know, the you and I talked about it. All right, is this going to be temporary? Is it as a result of COVID, people not wanting to live, you know, in major cities on top of each other uh, because of things like COVID and maybe this happens again and maybe they you know, people want more space and we'll see where it goes. Well, no, once the tech industry, you know, I mean, honestly, <laughs> Uh, to be qualified to work in the tech industry, you're, you're going to have to have uh, some very, very particular skills, and you're going to have to be very good at what you, And then when you have them, you can pretty much name your price, which includes, I want to work from home, and I want to be able to live anywhere. And you saw that. You saw the uh, office space. Now that's the vacancies in, uh, in office buildings in the Bay Area is growing. The uh, 
uh, CEO said of Nordstrom, we've spent more than 35 years serving customers in downtown San Francisco, building relationships with them and investing in the local community. Uh, but as many as you know, the dynamics of downtown San Francisco have changed dramatically over the past several years, impacting customer foot traffic to our stores and the ability to operate uh, successfully. The last day of business uh, will be uh, July f- July 1st or the, for the Market Street rack will be July 1st, and the San Francisco Center location will close at the end of August. The Westfield Mall, where the downtown Nordstrom is located, and its owner uh, said the closure underscores a deteriorating situation in downtown San Francisco. A Quote, a growing number of retailers and businesses are leaving the area due to the unsafe conditions for customers, retailers, and employees, coupled with the fact that these significant issues are preventing an economic recovery of the area, a spokesperson uh, uh, said the owner has actively engaged with city leaders for many years to express our serious concerns, which are shared by our customers and retailers. We have urged the city to find solutions to the key issues and lack of enforcement again. So there you go. And they just, you know, they don't respond. And this is where, you know, you and I've talked about when you you look at Chicago and you look at San Francisco and you look at Los Angeles and you look at Portland and you just say to yourself, you know, you don't sit there and Republicans are not going to be elected. We look, we saw what happened in Chicago. We need we need to get rid. We need to get rid of this mayor uh, because things aren't safe and uh, we need to have law enforcement here. And they elect a more liberal uh, uh, candidate mm-hmm. who now will continue with the defund the police and ensure that Chicago is a place where businesses and people don't want to go. And you say to yourself, my God, when is it, you know, how, how will this change? And I don't know, you know, how long will it take a, where I am, I am old enough. I am old enough to remember. <laughs> uh, when I became a talk show host in 1989, you know what the biggest, some of the biggest topics were? Biggest topics were redlining, you know, where uh, banks wouldn't give mortgages to people in the inner city and they viewed it as racism. And also the other racism that came up was the fact that retailers weren't in downtown areas. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. And then since that time, as we know, retailers have moved. Supermarkets have moved. You know, they have found they have found the market. The cities became, you know, you look at the 1990s. And, you know, and and uh, the um, the crime bill that was passed and then crime went down in a lot of these cities and Mm -hmm. boom, Mm -hmm. they started rebounding and businesses wanted to go there to make a profit. Right now you look at it and it is this it's it's not a fact that they didn't want to fight crime back then. They just weren't able to. And so you needed to go in with new laws and everything else. And they had the tools then to make their city safe. And they did. Yeah, but there was never an intent from the politicians that lead the city and these mayors and these DAs. Their intent was not to make the city less safe. They just didn't have the tools to do it. Well, they got the tools to do it. They did it. Businesses started moving in. It became a much more successful economic areas. You know, we talked about the um, remember the uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 free trade zones that you know, also were set up in cities and everything else mm-hmm. to ensure that they boom. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these major uh, liberal cities where the politicians come in and say, basically say, no, we're going to make our cities hell on earth deal with it. Yeah. 
and then the population gets upset and a mayor loses a primary in Chicago and they act somebody they they elect somebody who is even more radical than she is and you throw up your hands and you go well they want to commit suicide they wish the city of Chicago wishes to commit suicide yeah they want it to be done. The vote, a significant, and I know the voting was low and everything else. I understand that. And I'm sure many of our listeners listening right now and our great affiliate uh, WLS, uh, you know, don't agree with that. And they, they want Chicago to be a safe place and they want Chicago to boom. I worked in Chicago for a short time. I love Chicago. I love Illinois. Absolutely love it. Everybody and, wants but, these cities to thrive. Everybody wants these cities to do better. Well, but, not everybody. But here's the problem. <laughs> here's the problem. Is that you're not going to change it unless you do bring in a conservative philosophy. Yeah, it's not going to change. There's zero chance of that happening. And so that's, I look at, for Portland, I mean... How are they ever going to San Francisco, Portland? I mean, these really, really radical left cities here that are still embracing the insanity that started with defund the police. And they keep expanding it and expanding it and expanding it. And businesses keep moving. When will these when will a business say, "Okay, it's time to come back again? What will be that sign? I don't know I, I don't that we'll know. see that in our lifetime. But they, I, I, I Look actually, how long it took back when it was being talked about then. What had to happen was a massive reform that was national. It was nationwide. It was. We are going to enforce the law. We are going to clean up crime. We are going to make our cities safe. We're We're far from that. We're far from that. They're pushing to make uh, camping, living in a tent, a right. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. give yeah. give the people in the tent the right to sue somebody if you ask them to move. Right. You can't talk to them. Good. Portland deserves to die. It deserves as a city to just fail. Because it's what you choose. It's what you choose, yeah. We're not wishing it upon them. We're just observing. You're, you deserve and, it if you yeah. choose it. If this is what you want. If the people you voted for are pushing for that, you voted for this. It's what you want. You deserve it. The politicians in Portland and San Francisco want the cities to fail. They want the cities to become hell on earth. The people that's what they want. And the people voting for the them people that also voted for it. this, they deserve what's coming. Yeah. You voted for this. You wanted this. Don't say you didn't. Yeah, don't don't be don't be a Fauci or a wine garden. I didn't have any idea that oh. yeah you did. This isn't new. The defunding the police thing was years ago. It's been going on for a long, long time. It's got to the boiling point, and now you're going to be alone in a city of empty buildings. And Portland is another city that I love. I lived in Portland and love. It's a beautiful I, 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 area, a beautiful area where people are making the choice yep. to for it 
to end. To destroy. Their goal is to destroy Portland, destroy San Francisco, destroy Chicago. This is what destroy, you wanted. Destroy New York. If you voted that way, it's what you wanted. You were asking okay. for this. There's no other way to say yeah. it. There's no other way to say it. That is the very blunt truth. That is reality. You asked for this. You voted for this. 86690 red eye. Leased owner operators should be aware of four common revenue myths, lest you fall into the trap of mistaking revenue for profit. Myth one, concentrate on increasing revenue because costs will take care of themselves. This is not true, as costs are fundamental to the profit equation and the area where owners exert the most control to improve. Myth two, more revenue per mile is the answer to all problems. Though carrier pay packages differ in structure, revenue per mile really doesn't change much from company to company. But there can be a big difference in miles, overall gross revenue, reimbursements, and fees. Myth 3. All you have to do to be successful is run a lot of miles. In reality, revenue is only half of the profit equation. Costs are the other half. It's possible to generate a lot of revenue, yet spend a dollar ten to make every dollar. Myth 4. You can tell how well you're doing by the size of your settlement check. The settlement check is only a part of the success picture. Miles driven, loads hauled, conditions, mechanical problems, time off, and especially costs all have to be considered. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. Welcome and uh, and good morning. Let's go to Bob in Alabama. We're just talking about uh, more retail outlets moving out of the city of San Francisco. Bob in Atlanta. Welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Hi, uh, not in Atlanta. In Alabama. Hi. Hi. Uh, I want to come to the defense of the voter. I am uh, retired in Alabama right now, but. I grew up in Chicago and spent a lot of time there. Um, Chicago has not had a free and fair election in my lifetime. Uh, I've, I, like, for instance, Lori Lightfoot just lost her re-election. I know for a fact that she ticked off, at a minimum, three aldermen. Now, a Chicago alderman is basically a mafia boss. And those aldermen could have gone to their okay. All right, again, again, the the they they vote on a consistent basis. The Democrats, we understand the machine there, but people are actually voting. You do have people voting yeah, for people, this. People, people are actually voting for it. I know. Yeah. I know people want to make the excuse, that, and I we know the Democratic machine is extremely powerful. We understand that. Yeah, we get the corruption. Right. Right. But the the fact is. People are voting for this. Yeah. Not not all people. No. But the majority we of very people clear. voted for it. We were very clear. I was very clear. Yes. If you voted for these people, you voted for this. This is yeah. what you chose. Yep. Let's go to John in Lebanon, Oregon. John, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Hi. Hi, Eric. Uh, 
How you doing? Very good. Hey, um, uh, I live about 75 miles south of Portland. And uh, the the problem Oregon has is, is that the whole state is dominated by Portland, Salem, and Eugene. Those three cities have the, pot, the total population of the uh, yeah. You got two thirds of the state voting yeah, we, right now. Again, again we're we're, sure. we, yeah, yeah. we're well aware. We're of understand that. the makeup. Yeah, we yep. we understand the makeup of Thanks. Oregon. We've talked about it. We've talked about many of the the uh, the the, uh, the counties that wish to secede. That's not our point. The point is, people vote for this. You may not vote for this, but the people of Portland voted to make Portland a hell on earth. Yep, and it's going to keep right. going that way. There's See. not going to be. This huge uprising of conservatives in Portland. Right. That's not going to happen. So we understand why these counties say it's hopeless. We have, we, we you know, we want to go. We want to become our own state or we want to become part of Idaho. We understand that. We understand the dynamics of it. We're simply telling you that there are people that vote for this. Defund the police, coddle right. the criminal, uh, we, uh, bail reform. Yeah. These are things. Let, let the drug addicts camp where they want to camp, and if you try and come after them, we're going to allow them to sue you. Mm-hmm. Now I'm from San Francisco with some of the board of education members that got kicked off. Yep. Apparently, the public had enough there. Well, and said, where, "Okay, we, that, we, we that need- would be my question. Where do you actually draw the real line of real reform? I don't know if." If Democrats are okay with crime, I don't know how you solve the problem. I, I don't. I really don't. And I mean, because this is the insanity over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It continues to get worse. We've had elections since this all began. A number of them. You had a choice. and You had plenty of chances to make a different choice. And this is what you chose. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the -the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And he is Eric Hardy, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE, if you'd like to get in. We understand. I mean, the, the calls are what I expected uh, so far on it. Well, uh, it's not all the voters. Well, the, the political machine runs everything. We understand that. The point is we don't know what the point of, you know, we we don't know how they're ever going to revive themselves how that change is ever going to uh, ever ever going to happen? In yeah, order to it's have not going to happen in, in those or, cities. In order to have a political machine, you do have to have 
a number of voters support that political machine. Yep. yep. And a number of donors support that political machine. Yep. And it does show that the Democrats in a Democrat town where there was no Republican actually running, it was all Democrats running, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as 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 we know, um, you know, it's um, that's that's the point. Now we can we can get into the minutia of it as the caller. Well, Portland and Eugene and and um, Salem control everything. We know that. We know that. We're just simply on a saying, state level, we understand the, right. the the mix. We get that. That's separate from this conversation. And yeah. uh, my statement, I qualified very clearly, and I'll say it again: If you voted for this, this is what you're going to get. Right. And in Chicago, somebody had a vote. The machine may be powerful. The machine may get people that will that will uh, say yes. This is what we want, and we're completely ignorant. Uh, but uh, we're we're going to vote anyway because. Uh, of a political favor, whatever you can say, whatever you want, but the Democrats control everything there, and that's the thing that we've talked about. When is it going to change? Right, right. Look, when the, when, the, when will when will donors stop supporting? What is the if you're a big donor to the Chicago Democratic machine? What do you wish to accomplish? The party has officially endorsed the city of Chicago because in. The summer of 24. Yeah, that's a great point. They're going to be there showing the entire world what their party is made of. They chose Chicago. I think they should have a multi city approach San Francisco, Portland, Chicago. Let's put put it this way when you you look at the, let's look at the the national Democratic machine, if if you want to make that point. The national Democratic machine is, uh, when you look at where they stand on the issues, is not where a significant portion of Democratic voters actually uh, stand, yet they still vote them in. Right. On the actual issues, the actual issues that they, you know, what they believe in. The majority of Democrats don't want open borders. They don't want, don't want, want what's happening. You know, we've seen over the last couple of days now, uh, you know, and Governor Abbott responded to Lori Lightfoot saying, talk to your talk to your 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 boss, talk to the president. He's the one that set this entire thing uh, up. We all know it. The public knows it. Democrats know it. We 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 looked at the uh, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, why the economy is failing, why the border is in trouble. All the polls show even the majority of Democrats go, the Democrats. Yep. They know it. So yep. everybody knows it. So if we want to make excuses, we can do that. Well, it's a machine. It's still, a, it, any machine is still run and supported by people. And mm-hmm. I would have to ask any big Democrat donor in Chicago, what is your goal? Right. A machine can only work if there's donations and there's donors. Well, what do the donors want? What do the donors want in Oregon? What's the point? You know, what is the point of Portland now? What is the point of San Francisco now? What is the point of New York now? I you know, it's it, it's it's lost on me completely. Right. And I know there, you know, you you look at it the number of people that are leaving these areas make it very clear. Because those individuals likely didn't vote for this. Well, look at Bragg. 
Bragg gets in office and says, "Okay, you voted me in. You want what I you want what I want. All right. Uh, if you commit a armed robbery with a gun, we won't charge you with a felony unless you shoot the gun. Right. But if you point the gun in somebody's face, well, that won't be a felony. Right. Do you think the majority of Democratic voters agree with that position? No. In New York? No. But they voted him in. If you voted for him, right. it's what you wanted. But exactly. Think about that. I mean, it's it's complete pure insanity. You know, we, we broke it down a, a couple of weeks ago. The Democrats want to take guns out of law-abiding citizens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yet they don't want to punish criminals who use the gun. Right. You can't have it both ways. You can't make your city a hell on earth and then tell people you have no right to self-protection. Right. And we don't want as many police on the streets. Right. We'll send a counselor to the door. I mean, it's, it's pure insanity, but people are voting this way. And I don't know. I would have thought that with everything that we're dealing with right now, that the Democratic Party would have lost a significant amount of power in the United States. And maybe they will over the next... I believe they will over the next couple of decades. I don't know how it can survive. Right, right. You can't survive consistently with this because the one thing they're they're doing, and we brought this up before, the Democrats are a party that wishes to alienate people, wishes to divide people. You can't win that way. You can't continually divide people and pit people against each other, victim and oppressor, because we've seen it now. And I think the liberal transgender activist movement is one of the you know the perfect places to to look how it tore up the the liberal feminist uh, uh, movement mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. I mean, it just destroyed uh, it destroyed that. You see it right now. You have Democratic women fighting over whether men have vaginas. Yeah, you have Democratic women. Feminist fighting about whether men should compete against women in sports. Mm-hmm. Everything the Democrats do divide. You have the Democrats that promote the identity politics, which is judging people by groups and not individuals. The vast majority of Democrats don't do that unless you're MAGA. Yeah. <laughs> I had to give the exception to the rule. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I the, uh, you know, Majority of Democrats I know may get angry, but they're civil with me wherever I go. Mm-hmm. We have great conversations. In the area that I live, there's a lot of Democrats. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to them, and as I, you know, I've, I've talked about the abortion issue mm-hmm. with the number of women that I've talked to. Democrat, and that, that was uh, some in New York, uh, uh, the rest in Texas. And their arguments were all the same. And when I made my argument, they understood it completely. And they went, okay, yeah, you know, on the whole abortion issue, they understood. And I had every one of them say, okay, well, then the Supreme Court wasn't radical for what they did. They all had to admit it. When you actually engage them in a conversation and they're willing to engage, uh, they're not who their party, they're not actually who their party is, yet they continue to vote for the people that do things that they don't want them to do. And why? The Democrats have been successful in demonizing Republicans, which is why I've said, you know, stop 
stop the line. I had a friend of mine I got to have a talk with now again. A friend of mine yesterday or the other day posted, you know, a sign of a, a guy saying, you know, there were 800,000 more people voted in New York than registered voters in 2020. Mm-hmm. That's that's hogwash. You know, you, you roughly, you, you, <laughs> that would have been a national scandal if that was true. And he posted it on social media. Oh, they'll probably keep this quiet. And this is somebody I know who's a Republican conservative critical thinker. But people want to, and is a critical thinker. And they're going, why do you do that? Well, they do it. Oh, stop lying. Why would and, you want to behave like them? Yeah, because roughly there's 12.3 million registered mm-hmm. voters and mm-hmm. 8.6 voted in the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. But the point that this guy holding up a sign saying that the evidence is there. No, it's not. Stop lying. Yeah. Stop making stuff up. Stop pushing. Stop believing you know, everything you see. Right. And and that's that's where Republicans and conservatives have to have some spine and say, we're not going to lie. We don't need to exaggerate. We've got the truth on our side. And but every time the every time Republicans lie, it hurts the credibility of the movement going forward because that's what the Democrats do. And then the answer I get back is, well, the Democrats do it, so we should do it. Oh, good. Then I expect a lot of people jumping off that bridge. Yeah, no, I I don't. I'm not going to behave like they behave. Well, we don't don't subscribe to that. We don't have to. We don't have to lie. They have to lie. They have to. They can't convince people that what they actually believe is is the correct way. That's why that's why you've got Fauci and and what and uh, Weingarten backtracking big time. We weren't for that. We don't even know what you're talking about. Right. What's COVID? <laughs> I mean, this is this is where we are. The left can get away with that. Nobody's going to call them on it. Now you don't have the people out defending Fauci and making him the media darling that he once was. That's 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 progress. No, no, that is progress. It really is. You don't have that anymore. You don't see anybody. No, you don't. Yeah, you don't see the defense of Fauci like you did a while back. Nope. And I think after yesterday, uh, with the whole Supreme Court thing, and 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 what Ted Cruz brought to the table, uh, the truth, you're going to see fewer media going after. Justice Thomas, at least on that issue, <laughs> it'll be something else. Remember, it was his wife, and now it's him, and tomorrow it will be something else. Yeah, it'll be something else. Yeah. Well, there, because, look, there's a desperation inside the Democratic Party. And the desperation is the fact that they know they can't convince America on the issues, so they have to basically say that everything is tainted where Republicans are in it. Yeah, that the Supreme Court is tainted, that it's illegitimate, you know, that it's not a legitimate branch of 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 government and because they can't win on the issues. That's why we need to stick to the issues. And you need to do with what the Republicans did yesterday, show the hypocrisy of the Democrats. And and again, don't lie. Right. Stop lying. Right. They need to lie. We don't. It frustrates the daylights out of me. Because it destroys the credibility and gives the Democrats an issue to hit on 
Say, see, they're on this or on this or on that. And you don't need to lie. You can stick to the issues and win every time and tell the truth of what we think about the issues, and you win. You win with the majority of the public. But you cannot be sending differing messages. You can't accuse them of lying and then lie yourself. Yeah, and uh, to the previous caller, you know, he points out something we pointed out, where you have the major metro areas are blue. They control so many of the votes in, in certain states until they don't. Eventually, if this kind of policy is going to remain the policy, then who's going to stay? People in tents don't vote. You saw it in Chicago. The turnout was much lower. Why is that? Yeah, very low. Why wasn't there this massive euphoria? It's because... The left is destroying itself. I can't tell you when that's going to be. I don't know when that turn's going to be. I know one thing. They're not going to vote for a bunch of conservatives to come into power in these cities. But as long as they vote this way, they're going to get what they vote for. 86690-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio. Toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE, if you would like to uh, get in on the uh, uh, the show. Also, uh, coming up, why well, you see Bud Light, mm. where well, they lose like 21% of sales. Yeah. Something like that. I've I've seen 21 and 26%. I've seen two different yeah. stories. Right. It's not as so, but that's still amazing. No, that's huge. And, and it's still it's still down. It's, it's not coming back. It's It's getting worse. And now you have more scientific organizations and scientists coming out and saying, sorry, gender and sex is not binary. Mm-hmm. So we'll get, and like I said, every single day you're seeing more stories on it where people are saying, okay, no, this is, this is, you know, pure hogwash. Mm-hmm. And, and it's good that it's, it's good that it's going that way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we'll get uh, to uh, uh, that story. What was the other one I want to get to here? Um Oh, and also Paul Stanley, you saw he commented on the whole thing. Yeah, it was uh, interesting, and I thought, well, coming from a guy who's worn more makeup than the entire cast of The View put together. <laughs> oh, hmm? uh, the uh, the View, I guess the hosts of The View are scabs. Yeah, they, yeah. they crossed the picket line. Well, they crossed the picket gotta line. Got to do what you got to do, right? Because they apologize for not being as smooth as they normally are because their writers are on strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This 
is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and you can listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Uh, so look at this. New York's income sinks nearly $16 billion compared to pre-COVID as residents fleeing at alarming rate. One of the stories we brought you the other day when you actually look at the numbers Mm. that are out there on this, and it is pretty mind-boggling, the amount of money that is moving from these states. New York's pandemic-induced exodus is killing the state's bottom line. The Empire State's pool of adjusted gross income shrank by nearly $16 billion in 2021 compared to just two years earlier, representing a major loss of potential tax revenue compared to the pre-COVID levels, according to the newly released data from the Internal Revenue Service cited by the Wall Street Journal. The data shows that New York lost a whopping $24.5 billion in state-adjusted gross income in 2021 as residents relocated. That marked a major uptick from the state's loss of $19.5 billion in 2020 and just $9 billion in 2019. Much of it has wound up in Florida, which has seen a $10 billion windfall in 2021, stemming from the newly arrived New York transplants, according to the uh, data. Wow. Hmm. And you see it across the board, too. I guess the, the other there's another story out there the other day about the same thing with uh, with uh, Texas. Yeah. Uh, and you're and you're seeing this money move out of the money really is moving out of California, Illinois and New York. Well, yeah. and it's. You know, you look at the entire list of policies in these states, um, and they are not conducive to great business. They're not conducive to living, <laughs> existing. Uh, but the individual and the and the business alike is having an issue. Um, regulations uh, are going to cost everybody. Corporations and individuals alike. And at some point, again, you can't afford to stay. And then you throw on the the entire, you know, um, rise in crime. I I saw a discussion about it recently, and they talked about how bad it is and and what, you know, this one individual who was um, commenting on a podcast talking about a story that was in the news. This is somebody who says they've lived in New York City for all of their life. And there was a story in the news, and they brought it up, and they said, I, I've i never seen anything like this. And you, if you have a family, my question would be, well, how do you stay? How in the world do you stay if there's high crime, if you're worried about your family ever even leaving the home? As this one person was, I just, I don't know how you do that. I I, I don't know how you stay. Eventually, you're going to have to move. I found the numbers from the different states. The latest tax migration data from the IRS shows that the exodus of taxpayers from high-tax states continued from 20 uh, to 2021 with California, New York and Illinois again suffering some of the nation's biggest losses of people and money. 
California's tax base shrank by nearly $29 billion as the Golden State saw a net loss of 332,000 taxpayers and their dependents during a time of widespread lockdowns. The IRS released on Thursday in second place New York, which was hit by a net loss of $24.5 billion and 262 net people leaving. Illinois was third with a net loss of $10.9 billion and 105,000 people. Other high-tax states such as Massachusetts uh, and New Jersey uh, also saw tens of thousands of people moving out during the period. Massachusetts losing $2.6 billion, New Jersey $2.3 billion. On the winning side, Florida reaped the benefits of the wealth migration more than any other state enjoying a net gain of $39.1 billion in gross income from 256,000 new residents. Texas, which gained $10.9 billion and 175,000 uh, residents, came in second. They were followed by Nevada, $4.6 billion, North Carolina, $4.5, Arizona, $4.4, South Carolina, $4.2, and Tennessee, $4.1 billion. Wow. <clears throat> the data was compiled by comparing the mailing addresses on one year's income tax return to that of the next. So there you go. Uh, even before COVID-19 pandemic, California had already seen a net outflow of people and money to other states. According to previous IRS data, California lost $8 billion in income in 2018 and $8.8 billion in 2019. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, the reparations movement continuing here. Hmm. I did like the, the, I did see a headline that says, uh, new, uh, let me see here, uh, what was it? Newsom falls silent after calls for him to take executive action on reparations. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to say? Well, you know, it's we have plenty of money. You know, when, when when they decided to do this whole thing and send it to the legislature and Newsom was out promoting it, they were probably thinking, well, okay, uh, residents, you know, we'll give them $1,000, $500, you know, right, yeah. for a year and that will be it. And, and <laughs> I think the the top figure now is seven point six million uh, per eligible reparations recipient. But it was like California reparations panel to recommend down payments to black residents and abolishing all cash bail. That before they even start with the real payments, they need to start with down payments on it now. <clears throat> and they said, the, the, "What I love is to go." Economists figured out what would be the right amount. <laughs> economists, economists, <laughs> yes, economists. <clears throat> well, the because es- the because justice has math, right? Yes. All right. The estimates includes, for example, this would be what the down payment before any of the real money is paid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Two thousand three hundred per person per year of California residents for the over policing of black communities. Okay. Uh, three thousand three hundred and fifty. $6 per person per year of residents for discriminatory lending and zoning, $13,619 per person per year of residents for injustices and discrimination in health, and 77000 per person for black-owned business losses and devaluations. Hmm. The task force also urges in the latest documents for, for that eligible black Californians receive cash down payments as soon as possible while waiting for the full amount of the money. Uh, of, of the money. Hmm. So, 
Yeah. And by the way, we really appreciate the Democrats in California admitting their racism. It's about time. We've talked about it for the longest time. Uh, The Democrats are the ones that practice identity politics, judging people by groups and on individuals. And it's good to see the liberal Democrats of California recognize their racism, their guilt for their racist thoughts, Mm -hmm. and the willingness to pay reparations for their horrible racism. And, And it's also good to know that all racism will come to an end once the payments are made. Yes. Let's head to you. We go to Rick in Kentucky. Uh, Rick, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you guys doing, man? You're cracking me up. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was a joke, but I it's know. not. No, no, no I know. it's not. I, I know. But you gotta, well, first, you got to laugh before you get furious. But yeah. <laughs> I was that earlier on my way home while yeah. I was on the interstate, but... Mm. You guys have hit on, first of all, an awesome show as usual. Thanks. You guys have hit on so many topics tonight. I don't, I'm trying to figure out where I was going to start, so I'm going to try and keep it real shorter. I could be on here all night with you guys. Um, you know, you were talking a little earlier as far as people, you know, they voted for this. They did. You know, you're seeing polls of like Biden's numbers are what, a 32, 34, whichever one you look at, approval rating. You see, 70% of the population agrees that the company or the country is going in the wrong direction. I like to know who the 20% are, mm. but or the 30%, rather. Mm. Um, you got 70% of the country think, people think the country is going in the wrong direction. You know what really scares me more than anything is that this clown in office could still win again. Are, they, are people really going to take what's going on serious? You know, you guys have brought it up before. Name one single thing that has gone that he has done. Forget the politic, the political part of whether you're a Republican or Democrat. Name one thing that this guy has done that's gone in the right direction. And if you have half a brain, you I don't care what party you're with, you've got to see this that that it's not right. But the fact that this guy can still win again, and if he does, we're done. Well, and I mean, it, he's been he's been in office thirty months, and look at the crap that we talk about and deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Y- you know, here's the thing: is that uh, Rick, they in 2020, he was the guy. He was the guy. He was the guy. The majority of his party doesn't want him to run again. And he's running. Exactly. And that says it exactly. all. That says it all right there. And you, Do you guys think he has a chance to win? Against, say he goes against Trump. you think he has a chance to win? You know, there are so many variables right now, honestly. Um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend, of course, on how each of them run their campaign. Um, but it's also sure. going to depend on things like inflation, which isn't going to be uh, at or below two percent by between now and November no. of next year, uh, the economy and everything else that's going on, all the fall of the the, the blue cities that are falling uh, right now, where businesses are leaving and people are leaving, and all of that, they're collapsing, and all of that is going to have an effect, including in Chicago. Now they're going to try and and uh, put up the facade long enough to have their convention for a week, but the fact of the matter is, is that. There are there are so many variable, variables out there. I think anybody would be a fool to try and 
predict what what's going to happen. I would hope that as a nation we could vote him out of office, but again, it depends on how the campaigns are run. Yeah, I would I would say, and I was reading an article, and thanks so much for your call, Rick. We really appreciate it. I I, I would say, I, well. I, well, number one, I was reading, uh, you probably read it too, Andrew McCarthy's column the other day that Trump can't win. Yeah, right. And, and he basically said, this is, uh, and he said, look, I've defended Trump. He wrote the book, Ball of Collusion. And he said, I've supported Trump and I've criticized Trump. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but he said, uh, he said, the majority of people voting will not be Republican, as yeah, is every right. election. Mm-hmm. Right. Where is he going to get the votes? Right. Can Donald Trump convince, can Donald Trump convince more people to vote for him than voted for him in the last election. Is that possible? Can he get the independence? And his answer was, no, he can't. Uh, uh, what he's, what I would say he left out of the article is, which is the great unknown is, uh, is uh, Biden. I mean, there's still, yeah. I don't, right. I don't know how another year and a half before we have an election, a year and a half with inflation. And if we go into recession, the numbers weren't good. You know, the numbers are going yeah. in the opposite direction yeah. from the, the, the job uh, openings and those being laid off. Now it's it's you know, it's moving in the wrong direction. Uh, I just I don't the the thing on the border is going to get worse here in the next couple of days. You saw Josh Hawley say, mm-hmm. well, yeah, he wants the troops. They're only going to be doing administrative stuff. He says they want the troops down there so they can process more people to come into the country. That's that's exactly what is going on. It's, I, I almost mentioned that earlier. We haven't gotten to that right. point but they're they're there to bring more people in right they so, will be there i mean that's that's and, the entire play here but the so you've got you've got a couple of you know wild cards here and the, the biggest wild card that you just can't figure out is how people actually will relate a year and a half from now to a completely bumbling biden yeah i uh, and and everything Everything that goes along with it, from the economy to the border to the price of energy, like I mentioned, uh, I think it's National Grid, they call it in New York, wants a 17% increase in electricity prices. You know, Obama said it. The goal is to skyrocket electricity prices. You're seeing the insanity. You know, when we we heard, uh, uh, who was it? Was it? I can't remember which. Was it Josh Hawley that was talking to the interior secretary? And I don't. Oh, we haven't played that audio yet. I got to no, play that audio. audio. Okay, I got to play. Yet. I played it off the air. Yeah. For you, we got to play it where he starts talking about the fact that you're closing mines here. You want to close natural gas and oil, and we're getting it from the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And 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 he asked her, "Where are we going to get all these?" You know, no. He asked her if she knew where all the materials for the batteries and the EVs come from, and she didn't know. No. No. Was, well, they come from China. So you're saying we need to get rid of it in the United States, we need to close mines, we need to stop oil and natural gas, and, and we need to kill blue-collar jobs, and we're giving them to China. Yeah. And then China will be able to control much more of our economy. And she had no no response to that at all. Because she doesn't know yeah. how things work. Right. Now, that the, that's effective. The Republicans' message and Trump's message can be effective. be interesting to see how, how, what his focus is on CNN if he goes to issues. Because he's really not promoting what he believes yet. He's, right. he's, yeah. he's going after he's going after DeSantis for most part. I think it's minor stuff. But what he has to promote is what he accomplished and what he will do. That's something he really hasn't talked about a lot. Maybe at his rallies he's mentioned it more. But the majority of people in the country don't see the rallies. Right. 
866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Let's go to Kenny in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Kenny, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Hi, Kenny. Hey, how y'all doing? Good. Thanks for calling. Uh, appreciate you listening to me. Uh, I'm kind of like your last caller. I've got so many different opinions. I could talk to y'all all night long. <laughs> <laughs> but... uh the, this thing with the the voting, you're right. People that vote Democrat, they are so diehard Democrat that I don't care who or what you put as a Democrat in the election, they would vote Democrat no matter what. And and it's pitiful because they would actually they're willing to actually put up with what they're putting up with because they just absolutely refuse to vote Republican because they're so diehard. And yep. Yep. it's 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 sad that people actually do that. I've, I've heard a saying a long time ago when it comes to leaders of, of whether it be state or government or whatever, you got to put the needs of the many ahead of the won't of the few mm-hmm. and there's so many of them up there that are not doing that well and and they don't really and and that's the the problem and thank you kenny for the call we greatly appreciate it um the problem is is that they they really don't care they don't care what's going on with the broken border they don't care what's going on with fentanyl they don't care what's going on with uh, all of the missing children now uh, that have come across the border, and we have no idea where they are. Um, They don't care about the rising crime in major cities. They don't. Their party has endorsed the city of Chicago officially by announcing that's where they're going to have their convention next year. This is what they want, and they're being told by the voters the people who support them, that they're doing the right thing. On the issues, people say in polls they don't want this. But as long as you're voting for it, you do. And there's no way around that. And until you vote differently, nothing is going to be different. Join the conversation. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. 866-90-RED-EYE. I think you came up with the best point so far tonight on the show that wasn't heard on the show. 
Yeah, what what I say? That was during the break where you said that you said I bet you part of the motivation of the Democrats going after Clarence Thomas right now and any other conservative justice is based on their panic because of the court case that the Supreme Court uh, has agreed to hear that would basically review the Chevron case. And for people who don't know, we're not gonna, I'm not going to get into the Chevron versus the National Resources Defense Council that was almost 40 years ago. But in that case, the Supreme Court ruled that courts could defer to a federal agency's interpretation of an ambiguous statute as long as that interpretation is reasonable, which is why you've seen a lot of the executive orders that have come out from the president that have been overturned. And the belief is that the conservatives will at least tap down the, what would I say, the the broad brush of yeah. how it has been how it has been used. And and this is a case with um, just we'll try to make it as simple as possible. This is about uh, uh, fishing boats mm-hmm. that uh, the federal fishery law, which means was passed by the legislature makes it clear that government can require fishing boats to carry monitors that that's uh, uh now I'm assuming that's people monitors right these are mm-hmm. observers mm-hmm. who monitor compliance with the fishing management plans mm-hmm. so they said yes boats you know you the federal government can put monitors on fishing boats mm-hmm. so somebody from the federal government can be on your boat but it never said who has to pay for it right it just said federal monitors have to be there. Right. And so they came out and said, all right, the fishing boat, each individual fishing boat has to pay for it. And they say that's cutting into their revenue by 20%. And it's not in the law. The law does not dictate. And when you think about it, the point is that the the government says we must have these uh, monitors. The legislation said they can put them on the boat. They didn't say that we have to pay for them. Uh, that's almost like the government coming out and stating that uh, police officers must be uh, at... Um, if they're called to your house, you have to reimburse them, the city, for the time that they spend at your house during that call. Okay, okay, I think that, okay, that's, that, I think that's better than the idea I was coming up with, that, mm. that if police come to your house, but, but it's not in the law that you have to pay for it. Right. Right. The law doesn't dictate it. They now, can they can go right. the law says that they can go there. Right. They can respond what what it was about the, the the what Congress was saying is they have access like the Coast Guard. Right. The Coast Guard can come aboard. Right. But if the Coast now, Guard comes uh, if the Coast Guard comes I think that's even a, a if they a, said a greater one. This is a direct this is right. a direct correlate or direct um a comparison. So now we're, we want you to pay for all of the person, the Coast Guard personnel that are on your craft for those moments. Let's just say that they have to inspect a craft and they're on there for an hour. You have to reimburse and pay for pay them for the hour they're on right. your craft. Now, if the legislature says you do, then you would. If the law if the, specifically if the law and that's, says that's where the, right. the the Chevron doctrine comes in. It's basically it it allows right now it allows. Too wide of a berth, they believe, and this is what uh, the one fishing outfit is saying. Look, this this whole idea of us, and they're they're claiming it's costing them twenty uh, percent of their profits or more. 
hundreds of dollars per day because they're having to pay for this monitor to be on board. It's it's not even the access that they're talking about, saying, hey, we don't want anybody monitoring. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is, why do we have to incur this cost? The law was really about access and whether the um, right. the the monitors had the authority to be there. And then they took it and, and said, yeah, they've got the authority and you're going to have to pay for it. And that's what they're saying. In the law, it doesn't say we have to pay for it. And the law has to specifically state that. And it doesn't. And so I and, and when you see the decisions they've already made, the um, oh, I can't think of the name of the case, but uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 coal issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, in was that Pennsylvania or West Virginia? I forgot what that was. Mm-hmm. Where they said, "No, sorry, it wasn't in the law." And the the uh, the uh, the vaccine mandates, mm-hmm. uh, the eviction, the eviction, the eviction moratorium, moratorium were all things all were all things that the Supreme Court said, "Sorry, not in the law. You don't have the authority. Not, you don't have the authority. It's not in the law." Right. Well, it's but it's under Chevron. It's reasonable. No, it's not in the law. So, right. and and the Supreme Court really seems to be. A stickler for if it's not in the law, it's not up to us to make the decision. And you think about it, that goes from their abortion decision on. Yeah, on, right. on everything. If so Congress wants that to be the right. law. Congress has has to write the law that way. And so I think there's a very very good chance uh, that I I would agree with you that there's got to be absolute panic in the Democratic Party. Yeah, they lose this kind of executive. Uh, power. I mean, we know this. That oh, yeah, you know, they, yeah, the yeah. the the uh, the the Democrats love, for example, a Supreme Court that won't interpret the law but will make law. This, this they want to do. They yeah. want to do everything to keep it out of the hands. It's a funny thing is the Democrats in Congress that wants to take away their own authority and give it to somebody else. <laughs> just, I have always found that interesting. Yeah, yeah. When you're a member of Congress, but I think they realize that's how to we can quickly we can do more quickly what we wish to do by an executive order than having to go through the legislative process. I, I think that's, you know, when you look at the moves over the years by uh, the EPA, by, you know, just administratively, how many moves they've made where there could be a challenge to the case. I, I What I don't know is why there hasn't been, in terms of really challenging it and, and putting the whole Chevron doctrine on the line, Um I, I don't know. Maybe there was an attempt before, and it, it didn't. Uh, it didn't reach the Supreme Court, but they decided to hear this one. And so, I think there's panic on the left. I think it's what you see from people like Al Franken. But really, everybody on the left, left right now seems to be in panic mode about what's going on because what this does is it completely undermines their agenda. Because the EPA can come in, and if they issue a ruling, they have to go through the process. But if they issue the ruling and that's a final rule, then it's law until it's changed, until that rule is changed by right. a, another administration, which often, in the case of the EPA, doesn't happen. On some things, it has. Um, the whole WOTUS thing has come back, waters of the United States. And that's, I think, one thing that could be uh, challenged um, if, depending on where this goes, with the Chevron uh, doctrine. But there are basically you give wide berth to the any administration to come in and say yeah well we're going to do this and we're going to do that even if congress didn't write it that way this would if the if the ruling comes down and says no you can't do this what you would hope for 
is a wide ruling to to really flip the 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 whole Chevron doctrine thing and not a narrow ruling for this case involving this fishery. Uh, they, you know, if you, if they came in and said, well, it's a, it's a, you know, we're going to make this one ruling on based on what this company has to pay and they shouldn't have to pay that. I don't see that happening. I don't know how you can do this and not. Well, and, and again, with, with where you see the Supreme court had came down on the, on, on the vaccine mandates, right. the way that they came on authority. Yeah. They yeah. came down on the eviction more moratorium that yeah. well these were all promoted things that were good and the supreme right. court said doesn't matter whether you believe they're good or not we're right. not going to make the dis- we're not going to make the judgment whether they're good or not that's not up to us to do that that's right. up to the legislative branch through the people to do that mm-hmm. we're just telling you you didn't have the authority to do this this was not in the law and law uh should be put forward and enforced well it should be put forward by the legislature and then if the executive branch wishes to enforce what the legislature has put into effect, that's fine. Or the or the courts wish to do it, yeah. the executive, whatever. Yeah, you can do it that way or you can implement it and then enforce it because Congress has done it. But it's a, it, you think about it, it's a big deal because yeah. you're saying that, oh, because that's like saying police come to your house and then all of a sudden the mayor of the town says, well, you've got to pay every time. But when the police come to your house, you have to pay for it. Right. Well, the city council didn't pass that. Right. And the mayor doesn't have the executive power to do something like that. Now, we're talking local. We're just trying to make a scenario that's closest to what we're dealing with here with the federal government. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the Democrats absolutely are panicking over that. I think it was the greatest point you made so far tonight. Well, the show isn't over with uh, uh, off the air a little while ago when you said that. I went, whoa, that's a great point. The bureaucracy. You know, it, the it, bureaucracy loses a tremendous amount of power. It would be, uh, really, for the left, it would be like a, a an implosion, an administrative implosion, because um, it would limit, greatly limit, uh, the way that rules are made within any administration. And they, they would have to be, I mean, every single administration. Now, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't, they wouldn't attempt it. Oh, yeah. It just means that the precedent set quite possibly if, if it goes that direction uh, would, would be very, very clear and you would lose it. You could lose it very, very quickly. And those are the things that, that scare them the most because it, for the left, it undermines the integrity of their entire agenda. Everything on their agenda requires. What did Obama say? I don't need Congress to get cap and trade done. I can do it with the executive pen, and he did. Yeah, but the Supreme Court disagreed with Exa- him exactly. On that, but the, but that's their mentality. Right. But here it is: we believe that we can get this done administratively, and through the EPA, we can bring about our own climate change policy, and that's exactly what they've been doing. But reading this directly from Scotus Blog, and and Amy Howe wrote this. She said uh, that uh, relying on the Chevron, a divided panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit rejected the company's challenge to the rule. Now listen to this. Judge Judith Rogers explained that although the federal fishery law makes clear that the government can require fishing boats to carry monitors, it does not specifically address who must pay for the monitors. Because of the interpretation of the federal fishery law and authorizing industry-funded monitors was a reasonable one, Rogers concluded the court could defer 
to that interpretation. That because it was reasonable to have you pay for it, even though Congress didn't dictate it. Right. And that's the problem with the law. Well, and, because I don't know yeah. what. Well, we're going to say it's a reason. We're going to say it's reasonable for you to create a law, which is in essence creating a fee to tax somebody. Well, that's the thing. Ba- there, based there, on the fact that it's. Re- well, what does reasonable mean? Well, the, this would be the administration creating the funding mechanism for the enforcement. Right. That has to be done through Congress. It's got to be done through Congress. Legislative and, branch, that's... that's and, and if Congress wants to do that, say, okay, we're going to impose this new tax, and that tax is designed to fund, going to be the funding mechanism of this enforcement over here, then they can do that. The administration can't. They you, can't come in and create their own funding you, mechanism. You know what it might also stop? And I'm, I'm throwing this out, and again, I'm just off the top of my head. Mm. I, may be, I may have missed something here legally, but... It might also stop the whole thing of charging people more for mortgages that have a good credit rating. Oh, yeah. Because that yeah. was a rule yeah. change. Well, yeah. that's reasonable. We right. can do that. Sorry, Congress didn't dictate and say that you could charge more fees for uh, people with a better credit rating to pay, uh, in essence, for the mortgages of people with or, or help supplement, subsidize the mortgages for people with poor credit ratings. Did Congress enact that law? No, but we thought that was reasonable. Because the goal is to do this. Well, it's not reasonable. Well, and our goal is to do this, but yet it's still are it, it's going to do the opposite of the goal for many people. And so all the way around, it has failed. But it is a, again, they take this wide berth in creating these rules administratively and believe because they've been getting away with it that they can do this over and over again. And until the court stops them, they're going to. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. In SCOTUS blog, they talk about Clarence Thomas has been among the doctrine's most vocal critics, arguing that uh, sh- uh, the Chevron deference, quote, rests from the court, the ultimate uh, interpretive authority to say what the law is and hands it over to the executive branch, which is true. Yeah. Yep. Because and- they get to the, the – and that's a great point. The courts actually get to interpret the law, not the executive branch. Well, that's a great point. Well, and that's a great. Point. It's not just interpretation, Separate. but you're also creating new law. I mean, right. you're creating, you're expanding the law administratively. I'm now, guessing he would agree with both of those. Yeah, you're interpreting I, I it and creating it because yeah. it, by interpreting the law, then you believe you can create it. Right. Yeah, right. They they are. Right. We believe falsely interpreting the law. To say, well, we can do what we want, and therefore further creating more law by doing that. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, 
It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, all right. Now it looks like scientists are getting involved in the discussion now. Uh, here is uh, one. Ivy League professor says it's bad science to believe biological sex is binary. False picture of biology. Hmm. Uh-oh. He's inciting violence. Hmm. Is he not? Mm-hmm. Uh, Princeton University anthropology professor said it's bad science, uh, bad science to believe that biological sex is binary, only male and female, by basing it on reproductive cells. The Ivy League professor, uh, Augustine Ferrantes, has specialized knowledge in racism, sex, gender, and chasing monkeys, according to his biography page. He argued in Scientific American magazine on Monday that biological reproduction cells, such as sperm and egg cells, does not delineate whether someone is uh, is male or female. Here's why human sex is not binary. Uh, He then went on, uh, he then blasted Republicans for questioning uh, Judge Brown Jackson during the Supreme Court confirmation hearings last year. Uh, uh, Biden, uh, Biden's SCOTUS pick could not provide the definition of the term woman. Can I provide uh, a definition? No, I can't. Not in this context. I'm not a biologist, she said. The human sex uh, rests on a biological binary of making either sperm uh, or uh, eggs underlies all these claims. That is bad science. The professor explains that production of sex cells in animals do not sufficiently describe uh, sex biology in animals, nor is it the definition of a woman or man. Well, well we're not talking animals. We're talking humans. Yeah, well, he, and he's full of it. You want to talk about bad science? Just make it up as you go along? Yeah, this is bad science. He went on to state that sex was cultural and not only biological. It's cultural. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it isn't. And he's not a scientist. I mean, these are scientists getting involved in it, but it's, they're delusional. But but they're, I, I want to make this clear because I, I think I made it sound like he was <coughs> he was he had some common sense to him, mm. or the science was getting involved in it. I mean, the scientists, the so-called scientists, are getting involved in. It. I was being sarcastic. So-called scientists are getting involved in trying to tell you that uh, that sex is not binary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Well, the fact of the matter is is that, you know, this is uh, also the MO of the left. Oh, we'll just bring scientists into it now. Look, Ivy League scientists. See, told you. There's all the proof you need. No, they can be delusional too. We're going to speak against Everything that's been taught up until now. Everything that's been taught up until now is wrong. What else is wrong then? Well, he's not a scientist. He he may have he may have a degree in science. He is not a scientist. Well, I'd like to talk to the people in uh his school's math department. Uh did 
I don't believe I owe the IRS what I actually owe the IRS. <laughs> well, but this is getting back to this is getting back to what we have stated. They're they're trying now. They can't win it on sex, so now they're trying to throw in that sex and gender are different. Right. Yeah, no, that the gender is what you think you are, right. and sex is a biology, yeah. and you combine them together, so you can't give a definition of a woman because gender says one thing and sex says the other. Right. We're like, sorry, you lost. That's that's what they were selling, even as recently as ten years ago, because you and I dealt with that. Mm-hmm. Don't you guys understand? Gender isn't sex. Well, yeah, it is. And and you, now the definition changed in the seventies. Uh, you know, the definition changed by the radical transgender movement even back then to say, well, gender and sex are, are different. And 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 here's the thing. Um, uh, this scientist wants to use in part um, the procreation of other beings, of other animals as an example. As to why it's, he will tell you, it's not binary. Well, we're not talking other creatures. We're talking human. The professor later elaborated on his point of view, stating he meant that it was reproductive cells, uh, uh, sperm and eggs, are not the entirety of sex biology in humans and other animals. This is bad science. No, you're bad science. And again, what happened with the uh, radical liberal transgender activist movement is they were attempting to separate gender from sex in order to introduce it in and tell people, well, no, sex is different than gender. So you must accept us because this is gender. And now when they talk about that biological men should play against biological women and a biological man is a woman, if they believe they are, and that men have vaginas, and that men get pregnant, the whole point is, no, a biological man is a biological woman if they say so. Mm. That's bad science. Yeah. Yeah. You're delusional. To believe in binary nature of sex is to promote discrimination. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're moving away from the science now, are we? Mr. Scientist? <laughs> and so not allowing biological males to, to play sports with biological females is discrimination. Yeah. By the way, we discriminate all the time in life. Yep. And there's bad discrimination and there's good discrimination. Yep. And we discriminate between men and women. It doesn't mean that you treat people in the wrong way. It's simply you acknowledge you discriminate based on science. Uh, We discriminate, at least um, most critical thinking people still do, between adults and children. Yes. See, that's discrimination. That's why children should be allowed. Yeah, my 12-year-old son says he wants a beer. He's going to be sad if I don't give him a beer. Oh, that's terrible. You're discriminating. We can't discriminate. Discrimination is bad. Any form of discrimination is bad. 
You can't give him a beer. That would be wrong. What if he wants genital mutilation surgery? Well, you don't get a say in that. I knew a one, one guy who talked about the fact that he would watch pornography and his kids were around. See, he was a better human being because he didn't discriminate. Yeah. I mean, I would call that borderline abuse, but yeah. And if they're in the room, it's all out abuse, but that's just me. And so what I, I know what he's saying. What he's saying is the biology isn't the only thing. What people think also matters. And that would be gender and the other is sex and gender and sex are sort of the same thing. And so they're they're the totality of gender and sex are in the same classification. Uh-huh. Therefore, you know, it's like blah 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 blah. Shut up. <laughs> God, just shut up. Well, it's it. You know, he could. He feels his own argument falling apart, and then he just goes discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Bring it on. Continue to argue the point. Go yep. ahead. Yep. Go ahead. No problem whatsoever. Let's go. Uh, Paul Stanley uh, from Kiss slams child sex reassignment surgery. Sad and a dangerous fad. There you go. There's a big difference between teaching acceptance and normalizing and even encouraging participation in a lifestyle that confuses young children into questioning their sexual identification as though some sort of game, and then uh, uh, then parents in some cases allow it. He wrote in his uh, in his my thoughts on what I'm seeing. He then went on to outline his argument on Twitter and Instagram that gender identity is not a game of choice, nor should it be a sad and dangerous fad that simply indulges confused wishes of confused children. Well, you heard it from the authority. <laughs> listen, if I wanted to listen to someone with tons of hair wearing too much makeup that's really loud, I'd watch The View. <laughs> Thanks, Paul, but we got this. <laughs> <laughs> wonder what Gene has to say. I just want to welcome the KISS Army to Red Eye Radio. You can get your Make America Kiss Again hat at kissarmy.com. Uh, so there you go, and and uh, I'm I'm just I'm happy that I'm happy that the left now wants the debate on this entire uh, issue, and I'm glad the Department of Justice is getting involved in in promoting the fact that they believe that children have a right, that children have some type of right to uh, uh, to get uh, uh, gender mutilation surgery. Mm. Yeah. If it's gotten to the point that you woken Paul Stanley up, you know it's getting loud. You know it's getting crazy. But but quite frankly, we've noticed the pushback is growing. Yep. Well, the Department of Justice getting involved in the whole Tennessee thing mm-hmm. is just mind-boggling. This, this know, it, it's, is uh, – it, it's, 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 it's mind it – just, uh, it just shows you how radical they are. It, it does. And then I thought to myself – 
this is Merrick Garland right here. Yeah. This is Merrick Garland right here. And I can't wait for this to get to the Supreme Court because it will. It's But it's mind-boggling. I mean, it is just mind-boggling. They're fighting for the right, they call it the right, for children to have genital mutilation surgery and irreversible treatment. Mm-hmm. And they believe they have some sort of higher, you know, moral high ground. And yeah. this is the civil rights issue. That's what they believe. Of 2023. Yes. Shut up. By the way, why why haven't we seen a march on that yet? Has there been one? Well, in, a, in a major, major, major mm-hmm. way? I haven't seen one. Maybe I missed it. No, I mean, they, they're attacking state capitals. Didn't that happen in Austin the other day? Was it Austin? Yeah, I, think in Austin I saw one. The there was one. Uh, I know it was. I know there was another one outside of Texas, but, but it was Austin, so nobody yeah, paid yeah. attention. Exactly, it was like that was. One of the- yeah. <laughs> Once they were told there was no weed in there, they left. <laughs> There's no weed here. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. I like Ford posted their profits. Yeah. All their profits. Ah. On gasoline engines. All right. Internal combustion engines, all their profits, their loss, all their losses, electric vehicles, even with the subsidies. Let's do this. Let's let's create the implosion of the automotive industry and the energy sector. Oh, wait, that's exactly what they want. We'll have that story coming up. 86690-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. At the core of Compliance Safety Accountability, or CSA, is FMCSA's Safety Measurement System, or SMS. The SMS uses seven safety improvement categories called BASICS to examine a carrier's on-road performance and potential crash risk. The categories of BASICS are unsafe driving, hours of service compliance, driver fitness, controlled substances and alcohol, vehicle maintenance, hazardous materials compliance, and crash indicator. Under FMCSA's old measurement system, carrier performance was assessed in only four broad categories. Violations or crashes that have occurred within the previous 24 months of performance data are included in CSA calculations, but more recent events are weighted more heavily than older events. Violations or crashes that have happened within the past six months are weighted 33% more than events that occurred six to 12 months ago and violations that are older than a year are weighted 66% less than recent violations. This allows a carrier to improve their CSA score gradually as they see fewer and fewer violations. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690. Uh, we never got to talk about it yet. I just wanted to at least uh, touch on it. I mean, who knows where it leads or whether it will ever go anywhere. But uh, 
the uh, the story on Jeffrey Epstein and the number of people that met with him after he was a convicted sex offender, mm-hmm. including the current director of, Centra, of the CIA uh, since 2021, had three meetings scheduled with Epstein in 2014 when he was deputy secretary of state, the documents show. Uh, you had a White House counsel under President uh, Obama, had dozens of meetings with Epstein in uh, the years after her White House service and before she became a top lawyer for Goldman Sachs, uh, the president of Bard College, uh, and, you know, a number of uh, others. And it just, I mean, that story just keeps getting weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Leading to all sorts of conspiracy well, theories. Well, that's the thing is that you, there's nowhere to go except yeah. for, you know, wide open thoughts about, you know, conspiracies of who might be involved in what Epstein might know of anybody's involvement. I mean, you, you think about Epstein, there's really only one thing you're thinking about. And then the question is, all right, what did he know? And, and uh, did he have dirt on people? What was he going to say about people? Of course, now you have to ask that question. What are they? What were they trying to get from him? Because what it, you're going to hear this? Well, he was an informant, and blah 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 blah. Or it was a discussion about the case. Well, why would the then deputy uh, deputy secretary of state? Well, I heard this one. Mr. Burns met with Epstein about a decade ago as he was preparing to leave government service, said CI spokesperson Tammy Thorpe. The director did not know anything about him other than that he was introduced as an expert in the financial services sector and offered general advice on transition to the private sector. They had no relationship. Well, you're not talking about, you know, young college kids looking for advice. You're talking about older men here. And you're like, excuse me? Yeah. What? Yeah, you're going to get nothing but conspiracy theories out of this. And we'll likely never know the answers. I I did see uh, Rogan promoting the fact that uh, uh, Epstein was running an an intelligence operation. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, it's, I could hear them trying to make the case that, well, he was an informant. Well, for the CIA or for the State Department? I I mean, it could go any given conspiracy theory or just theory <laughs> could go in every direction. Every, every, I'll put it this way. Every conspiracy theory you will hear has as much credibility as the next one. Yes. No, that's it. They're I, I all on equal ground. I, I don't know on the line of where the credibility is, <laughs> they're, but no, they're all equal no, in credibility. There is, and I don't know that there is a line, <laughs> frankly. to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios.
And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. Favorite lyrics I saw yesterday. Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? Mm. Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. Wreck of the M. and Fitzgerald. And I never realized that lyric was in there. It's What a great lyric. Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes into hours? As the ship was sinking. Yeah. So I just, I, somebody posted it yesterday. I went, wow. No, there's so that's, much that's encompassed a, in a that great, one line. Yeah, what a great, what, just a, what a great lyric. Yeah, that was just uh, fascinating. I did watch a documentary last year on him. And he was going downhill fast. Yeah. I forgot who did the documentary. I can't yeah. remember if it was Canadian. Mm. I don't even remember where I saw it mm-hmm. or I watched it. I think it was on one of, might have been on Tubi or something like that or yeah, um, as one of the documentaries. But it was a really, really good documentary. And it was really amazing how many people he actually influenced. I didn't, oh, know, that man, Bo- yeah. I didn't know Bob Dylan was such a huge fan. Yeah. He said every song, every song that that Gordon Lightfoot did, he never wanted to end. Like, well, the, almost that's about as long as the wreck of the Emmon Fitzgerald was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never did Pretty long song. No, but you, you think about that and, you know, as you know, in his later years, um, his appearance had changed. Yeah. Uh, greatly. Yep. Cause he, he always had that, um, I don't know. He just had a almost a larger than life presence just as an individual. He 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 looked like he came from the great white north. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. He looked if you were going to picture somebody uh, that would be the guy. And then you hear his songs and it's what's interesting is is that his vocal range was, I mean, he was very clear baritone, just, mm-hmm. you know, booming through. And it was a, you know, that the the delivery of his song would, I mean, it really did. It, 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 it required you to think. It required you to experience it. And... I think that's really the the great success of that kind of mm-hmm. you know that genre but but really when you whittle it down only a handful of people that have ever truly pulled that off in my opinion. I will say that's the one thing I I miss in music now and that's really the singer-songwriter. They don't yeah. I mean you you think about for example yeah. Gordon Lightfoot you mentioned yesterday Jim Croce but also you think about it James Taylor, Carly Simon. Yeah, you probably could go on and on and on with just the number of, yeah, you know, of of uh, of soft, basically soft rock, or, or soft folk singers mm-hmm. that had massive hits mm-hmm. in the late seventies and, or excuse me, the late sixties and all the way through, probably into the middle to late seventies, and then that sort of disappeared as a genre. You don't really see that. Yeah. And it was so big and it fit in with all the other music. I mean, if you could read my mind would play after a stone song or a or the who yeah. on, on radio back then in, in top 40 radio. Yeah. And yeah. it had just as much impact as a harder song. Yeah. Right. You know, you could hear a 
you could hear, you know, uh, Paul Rogers and and uh, and Free, you know, all right now, for example, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. a Gordon Lightfoot or a Carly Simon song would come in afterwards. Now the DJ would probably, you know, do the transition from an excited voice to a lower voice to introduce it, but they'd actually play those. They'd play back to back, yeah, or put a jingle in from the hot station, you know. 100 wild and then boom right into you know the 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 next song and it's just that's the one thing that i've i've always thought about when i go back and and since i've been talking with some of my high school chums over the last month or two because i'm going to my oh god oh god i don't want to say it 50th High school reunion I'm going to in July. Sock hop, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Potsy and Ralph and Fonz are going to be there. and <laughs> Bang on the jukebox so we can listen to music. <laughs> <laughs> but the discussion's been actually going on just about the music of that of that time. And it's when you think, for example, that uh, I think Yellow Brick Road came out 50 years ago, right about now. Yeah. I think Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, which I believe was the first single off Yellow Brick Road a half a century ago. Mm-hmm. And so we get into those discussions and everybody's talking about, oh, this song was when we were a senior in high school or whatever. And it's like, wow, wow, wow. And I started thinking, wow, there were just so many singer-songwriters back then that even if you were like me into more I and it came from dad having me, you know, because dad was dad. <laughs> he doesn't hate it as much anymore, but he used to, you know, hate as he called it animal music. Mm. You know, my father just didn't like rock and roll, so mm-hmm. there was basically classical music being played in our house all the time, and I think that rubbed off on my love of, you know, prog rock and and stuff like that. But I always like, you know, as as I started getting, you know, through my teens, I started liking more hard rock. But I didn't mind at all. I mean, you you did it didn't feel like you were wimping out if you liked a singer songwriter. You know, you talk about Elton John, "Someone Saved My Life Tonight." Mm-hmm. Think about that song. Think about how long that song is, and what a soft song it is. But this, I'm not saying the music isn't great, but it's the lyrics. It's Bernie Taupin's lyrics that keep you glued to that tune. It, as a kid, it was mesmerizing, and. I had not, when I bought the album, one of my first albums, so my first one was Draw the Line by Aerosmith, but I draw, I, I, I bought that one. I I had not really experienced that, that song. And since I had to listen to it on headphones, I mean, I couldn't mm-hmm. play the music in the house. I had to, uh, everything I listened to, in fact, including the first Van Halen album, I listened to in headphones because we're we're not going to play it over the speaker. But we had five kids in the house and mm-hmm. mom and dad, so you know you had to put the headphones on. Well, that put me into a different state completely, and you know you don't have your cell phone to look down on. There's nothing else. You're looking at the album cover, sometimes lyrics, yeah. if they printed them. Right, that's a great point. But yeah. You're looking yeah. at the artwork to go right. along with the album cover, and <laughs> Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy had 
quite a bit of artwork <laughs> that would keep you there forever, and you're probably yeah, still did. not going to see it all. Um, but you know that, and 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 along with with the way that it is, because that type of song requires a certain delivery. You know, you can talk about how um, uh, certain songs and in, in certain genres are delivered in in a way. Um, uh, gosh, uh, everything from Gladys Knight to uh, mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin and everything else, and there's a you know certain conviction that you hear in the music. But with singer songwriters and and folk, um, the strongest of which they delivered it. And they delivered it through their lyrics, but that created an emotion, and it really had to be matched up with with that voice. I mean, Jim Croce and you know Gordon Lightfoot and and others. There's there was no one else that was going in, to deliver that. In in my memory, though, the first <clears throat> song that made me really pay attention to lyrics was actually Johnny Cash mm-hmm. and a boy named Sue. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the first, and I was a kid listening to that. I remember hearing it, and you know, you're following the lyrics all along, and you know he's doing it from the that was the live from the prison, mm-hmm. yeah. And so he's doing, it, and you hear that you're like, wow, this is just, and you're feeling sad, you know, for the you know for the kid, you know, boy named Sue, and all mm-hmm, this, and then mm-hmm. then his father explains it to him, and 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 you know the son understands and says if i ever have a kid i'll name him you know joe bill anything but Sue. anything but Sue, i mean it yeah. was it, yeah. it was yeah. it was lyrics that actually were you know there was a serious message all the way through it mm-hmm. there was a sad message and he went oh now i understand and then the twist of the comedy at the end mm-hmm. that to me was just wonderful just incredible lyrics when you think about it and that's where i started really becoming a johnny cash fan and seeing what he had done in the past and what he had done in the future and you think about it going all the way up to you know what a great singer songwriter he was where even though he didn't write the song when he did uh hurt you yeah. know his last hit song yeah now he did the nine inch nails tune he he took and, ownership of that song. and he took on i mean that's his song yeah and even Trent Reznor says it. <laughs> yeah, you have to let that go. If you're Trent Reznor, you have no choice but to let that, let that song go. go. Yeah, it now belongs to Johnny Cash. And 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 it told you sit there and even though it wasn't, you know, self, uh, it it wasn't a you know uh, self biographical. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, because he didn't write the lyrics, but still well, it was. You look back, you go, oh, he has regrets in life of what he did. But there are there 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 and there are so many. Uh, multiple points that are made through the delivery of the song, and mm-hmm. and when he sings "I hurt myself today," oh. at that age where he was, and you're 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 just you're thinking on so many different levels at that point. It's just, oh my gosh, I gotta sit down. I got I gotta sit down and take this whole thing in, um, and that's what I think the greatest music really requires you to do and well what the the one that really gets me in that song and you you could have it all my empire of dirt yeah oh my i mean well, that, no, that is the crescendo of the you know if yeah. you think about it and where it wasn't before only his performance created that crescendo yeah i it's you know it, it really is that's that's how you know, that's artistry right there. Mm-hmm. 
But you could look at it. I mean, that's not, I mean, because in the video goes through, you know, pictures of his life. Mm-hmm. And so you think about it. And that song was so I don't know if that song had the same impact for somebody who was 20 years old when that came out as somebody that was my age or your age that went through everything that Johnny Cash had gone through. Yeah. That was biographical and all the songs that he did for years. Right. That led up right. to that point that even made that song, I think, more emotional and bigger based on the lyrics of Trent Reznor, though. That's the incredible thing is that it was like, wow. I never, And when I heard it the first time, I remember thinking to myself, Nine Inch Nails will never own that song again. Yeah. That's a Johnny Cash tune. And so, like I said, with Gordon Lightfoot, I mean, that was also just the singer-songwriter out there that would tell a story when singing. And then, to me, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It's not nearly as big as it used to be. Yeah, right. As an art form. And right. I think and I think that's sad. I'd like Well, to- that's it. I mean, you know, it's um I I've I've heard concerns of uh like content creators, the biggest of which uh manipulating and 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 understanding the algorithms to the point that every word that they say has has a return on the algorithm and they know that. So they're now crafting their words based on what the algorithm is going to do. That, to me, may be a type of artistry, but it's not the kind that appeals to me um, when you think about music. And and I think the same is for a lot of music. Um, it always has been the case that you're, you know, you're writing something that's going to be catchy. You're writing something that, you know, you believe is going to, because if it's repetitive... Uh, if the tempo, uh, the cadence is, is a certain cadence, it's going to, uh, it's, it's going to render a certain emotion that isn't as deep. It's not necessarily the thoughtful emotion, but it's not a bad emotion. It's just when you look into the, the stuff that is really meaningful in songwriting and in performance, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the stuff that stands out. That is really hard to replicate. It's I, it's only the grace that can do it. I'm going to have to get through the paywall of the New York Times to read the story. The headline is, How the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald Defied Top 40 Logic, which it did. No, it did in every it way. It did. In every way. There's no way yeah, that should yeah, yeah. No way you would view that song and say that's going to be a hit when it was a hit. Was 74, I think it was? Yeah. Yeah. No way should and that then, have been a hit. And then lasted, I mean, forever. Yeah, forever. With yeah. the same integrity. And as some artist said, I forgot who it was, said, it's better to have a song that's remembered than a number one song. I think so. I, I wow. would think so. Yep. Yeah, I would think so. I don't know if that was number one. I don't think it was, but yeah. it was, it, yeah. Shouldn't have been a, shouldn't have been a hit. Yeah, no, and, I, and you it, could argue it, it got bigger as time went on. I agree. More meaningful. 866-90, Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Hey, Trent, I radio. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. Trying to get that story for I got you. that story. The wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald defied Top 40 logic. Now I can read it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.